0: This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone.
1: Let's get it started! On Dubai I 103.8. It is indeed starting up. Richard Dean in for Tom Urquhart for the third and final week, really enjoying it. And this morning joined by George Hajaj, who's the CEO of Virtue Zone. Morning, George. Morning, Richard. How are you? I'm awesome. First time we're doing the show together, which absolutely, is a Absolutely. I'm absolutely thrilled. And we are going to knock it out of the park. We hope so. <laughs> Neil and Tom won't be allowed in here for dust. Let's hope so. We're going to own it. Better for us. I'll tell you what, it's a really good show today. We are talking about starting a business with your husband, or wife? What are the pros and cons? How do you balance your work relationship with your personal one and make sure that your company still runs smoothly? Well, we're going to speak with a founder who started not one, but two successful businesses with her husband. She is Julie Shields. She runs the fashion label Fasil Blanco here in Dubai. She's going to tell us how she makes it work, but it doesn't always work. We're also going to hear from Natalie.
0: You know, it worked really well for my husband and I for a few years. I don't regret it. But I would say, think very carefully about it. Do you really want to live with, you know, live and work with someone day in, day out? We did lose our marriage uh, and and then everything became about work. I would not, not do it again. I would not go back down
1: that road. Well, later we're going to hear from Joe Bruce, who's a business psychologist, the founder of the coaching company Path Boss. He's going to explain why more and more couples are becoming business partners and the do's and don'ts for couple co-founders. Plus, don't forget to get your questions in for Company Clinic. We're going to be answering those, or rather George is going to be answering those a little bit later on.
0: You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone
1: On Dubai Eye 103.8. Let's begin there by getting George's take on some of the big business stories of the week.
0: Well briefed. The business stories you need to know this week.
1: So you need to be well briefed yourself, George, don't you? Because you've had a, the summer away from the UAE and the summer away from work.
2: Absolutely. been away for a while and uh, it did me the best it uh, could do. And it was great to go back and connect with family and friends. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to go back home and it grounds you and it tells you how it shows you how lucky we are to be here. And, and, and uh, the lifestyle that we have here is just incredible, uh, to be honest with you, Rich.
1: Well, just before we jump into Well Briefed and these stories, we will do that. But you touch on an important point there. You're CEO of Zone, It's a busy job. It's been a stressful couple of years. I mean, stressful at the best of times, really stressful couple of years. I mean, alhamdulillah, your business has done well, but still a lot of stresses and strains. And you went away for a, a few weeks in Europe, popped back for a few days, and then a few, uh, couple of weeks in Canada, both of, both of which are places where you've got family. And I asked you earlier on, were you working from home? Did you have the laptop out? And you
2: said, actually, for the most part, you weren't. Talk us about that decision. Look, COVID was... For any uh, leader of any company, COVID was extremely stressful. Why? Because nobody taught us in school how to deal with such a with such a, a phenomenon or a challenge. No, no experience in the world could have taught you what was coming ahead. We've had to do a lot of read and react, especially in very tough times, not knowing what's coming in the near future, not knowing, not be, not being able to plan a week or two ahead it took a very heavy toll and i would tell you that most of the most of the business leaders i spoke to you know all over the world it took a very heavy toll on us and uh, we were able as you said alhamdulillah to 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 go through this and and take the right decisions wasn't always easy uh, some of it was luck some of it was foresight some of it was 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 just experience i would i would, I would imagine um, And whether you like it or not, whether you're the toughest person in the world, whether you think that you're mentally super strong, it just takes a toll on you. It takes a toll on you because you're overusing your brains and your thoughts, and physically and mentally, and and it just takes a very, very heavy toll on you. And I, I thought that I, you know i had a chat i had a chat with, with neil and jeff and told them guys listen i just need to be able to to go away for a bit and just recharge my batteries and recharge you know just just feel that that i can i can think again and we decided that i would i would go for for a couple of weeks uh, to europe my wife's french so we went and spent two lovely weeks in the south of france and then i came back for a week just to make sure that the, you know the business everything was under control we have a great team i mean i have a fantastic team that that are very responsible and that that, that take the business uh, Uh, At heart, and then I we went back to Canada to see friends and family, uh, my friends and family this time, and uh, you know I hadn't seen my family for a year and a half. You know it's tough not to see your family for a year and a half. I mean, we take it, you know, it's norm, it's normality now, if you want, but I I can't remember of a time in my life where I haven't seen my family for a year and a half. So it was very good. I came back super recharged, Um, as I told you. It also makes us realize how good, uh, how good that the the pandemic was was was. um, Sorry how well the pandemic was managed here. Uh, we have almost a normal life back, whereas it's not the case in the rest of the world. Final question, as a leader, does that make you more sympathetic or
1: empathetic to, to burnout among your colleagues going forward? Again, you know, I'm sure virtue zone's a work hard, play hard kind of culture. There's, there's stress, there's, there's pressure. Does it make you
2: more sensitive and empathetic? I would tell you that that we were empathetic from the get go our our team was so good and stepped up you know stepped up big time when it was time to step up when we were going when when the whole world was going through a hard time that right away after things started easing up we try to encourage them to go and have some breaks and take some breaks because it doesn't take the, t- the same toll on everyone. You know, some people can manage it better than others. Others, it just takes a very heavy toll. So we've been trying to cycle through the team, through the senior management team to go and, 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 and take a break and take some rest. And some people still haven't. You know, for example, Paul Bryson, who's our head of, stale, uh, head of sales or, or sales director, still hasn't taken a break. And I really want Paul to go out and, 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 and breathe a bit and just get his mind off things for a couple of weeks at least. Let's dive
1: into the world brief stories if we can. First up, 78% of SMEs, small to medium-sized companies, in the retail sector say they're optimistic about the next 12 months. That's basically four out of five. Now, this is the inaugural Mastercard Middle East and Africa SME Confidence Index, so they've clearly done their homework and crunched the numbers properly. Does that surprise you that four out of five SMEs in retail are optimistic?
2: Not at all. Uh listen we are amongst the first people to see uh, the kind of sentiment that there is about business uh, in the city and in the country people come to us to ask us questions on setting up and so on i can confirm to you that uh, again alhamdulillah business has never been so good we're opening up we're starting up more companies than we ever did in our 12 year history so i can definitely concur with with this study and tell you that business sentiment and as you know a lot of the a lot of the economy here is run on business on on sentiment i can tell you that Business sentiment is at its highest. And we as well are projecting a two to three year real boom here in the area. When you look at the companies that are setting up here, what kind of companies are they? Are they old economy companies, plumbers and and, and accountants, or is it funky new tech stuff? And it's a question that we get get asked all the time. It's probably the question that I get asked the most by the media at the moment. Listen, there is a mix of everything. The world needs a mix of everything. Life needs a mix of everything. But yes, we are seeing obviously um, uh, an increase in the number of e-commerce companies and everything that's online and online shopping and online deliveries and all these things. And that's greatly motivated by the pandemic where people are saying, you know what, this is probably the future of things.
1: Well, that brings us to the next story that we're looking at in Well Briefed, which is this, another survey. This one from Dubai Police, Dubai Economy and Visa. So we got MasterCard and Visa on the show this morning. At least 43%, so almost half, of surveyed UAE consumers are shopping less in stores, despite an easing of restrictions across the country. So if we look at those optimistic retailers, 4 out of 5 are optimistic, is there is there optimism misplaced because Yeah, yeah.
2: Listen, I'm a, I'm a I'm a very uh, traditional conservative uh, person in my ways of of, of of living. Right, I don't like change, I don't like new things. I don't you know. My wife always changes the furniture around the house. It drives me crazy. I like my comfort and I like what I'm used to. I would have never thought that I would become an online shopper. Um, the pandemic, what it did is accelerated things because stores were closed, because you, because it was a hassle to go out and because of all the measures that were necessary, that you had to go out to stores and so on and so forth. You know what? I said, I'll give it a try. And one try was two and then two became three, three became four. And all of a sudden I would tell you that now it's 50-50 between what I buy online and what I buy physically. So. I think there's a mix of both. I think there's always there'll always be a mix of both. There, you know, there is this human need to look at things and touch things and and, and, and try things on before buying and so on. But I think that in terms of the, the actual purchase, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, that uh, that we see an increase moving forward in, in uh, online, uh, in online purchase. and online purchases. And you know what, a human the humans adapt to everything, and retailers will adapt to that. Whether it's you know they'll they'll, they'll minimize their costs for the retail space and increase their costs on digital spending, you know, it will adapt. Everybody will adapt. But yeah, definitely moving forward, digital digital purchases are going to be up. You and I are
1: old enough to remember catalogs, aren't we? Absolutely. And the
2: excitement when they landed on the doormat. Absolutely. Well, that's equivalent, isn't it? You used to look at it in the catalog and order it, and now, and now you look at it online and order it. But I st- for some things, I still need to be there and look at them and watch. You know. For example, I could... I still can't buy clothing online. I, it just doesn't work for me, right? I have to try it on. I have to feel if it's comfortable or not. You know, For example, electronics. I tend to buy electronics online. One, because I find it cheaper online. And, and two is because I already know what I want. So what's the point of going to the store, picking up a box, going to the cash, paying for it, parking in the mall, and coming back and parking out and coming back home? I could just order it and it's in my house in two days. And the, the, the speed of delivery, Richard, has become absolutely crazy. I can order, you know, I order things on... Let's call it the biggest online retailer right out there, and it's it's in my office. The next day in the morning, sometimes I can order in the morning and it arrives in the afternoon. It's just incredible, incredible the logistics behind it. But where is the space
1: then to come back to SMEs in the retail space and to come back to to, to some of the companies setting up with organisations like Virtue Zone? Where is the space for them? Because. It is dominated by some big players globally and indeed locally. The two big ones, obviously, here are Amazon, the guys upstairs. Morning, Ronaldo. Um, Noon as well. Morning, Mr. Alibar. Your Excellency. (laughs) But but, but there are are others as well. And you've got the niche ones, like Mum's World, and and they've, they've carved out a niche. But others are struggling. The, that aggregator model we saw, for example, Spree was one of the casualties of the, of the pandemic. Very good organization run by a very good team. Oh, we've had her on the show, actually. We had her on the show in the past. Sarah Jones, yeah, she's a fabulous person. It, it, it's, yet the economics or the, the economies of scale, we are told, inherent within e-commerce are such that typically in a market you will get... Two or three big players. You look at a massive market like India. You've got Flipkart and Amazon, and yeah, there's a few niche players. So my question to you is, within the retail space, how do the kind of SMEs that virtue owns helping survive in that in that world?
2: Well, we're seeing a lot of niche uh, niche market. Uh, we're seeing a lot of niche market SMEs in terms of e-commerce. For example, I can give you uh, one example of two best friends, two girlfriends that are selling jewelry. Online and the jewelry that they're making themselves. I can think of another of another couple that are actually baking stuff at home and selling it. Uh, you know, it's not not all e-commerce platforms sell everything, right? You can you can have an e-commerce platform that's very specialized, and the people the people that are succeeding are the people that are finding these niche markets where you can offer um, all kinds of, of products from the same niche market. And these guys are doing better than, of course, the general the general uh, traders or, if you want, the, the grocery traders and so on and so forth.
1: That is the voice of George Hergé. He's a regular voice if you're a regular listener to Starting Up With Virtue Zone. Mine is not. I'm Richard Dean in for Tom Urquhart. Up next, we continue our big talking point today, which is should you set up a business with your husband or wife? The pleasures and pitfalls.
0: More to come on Starting Up With Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. On Dubai Eye
1: 103.8. This is indeed Starting Up With Virtue Zone. My my guest today is George Hergé. He's not a guest. He's a co-host, George. This is your show. I'm your guest. Thank you. That's the kind of you, Richard. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, it's Richard. been a few years now we've been doing this, haven't we? <laughs> you have indeed. This is by no means your first rodeo. We're talking today about the issue of setting up a business with your husband or wife or your, your romantic partner in life and the, the pros and cons of doing that. We're going to speak to one business owner who's set up not just one, but, but two with her husband and they're working well. But we heard earlier on at the top of the show from Natalie, who had a successful business with her husband, but their marriage did not survive. The business has. She owns the business. It's doing really, really well. But the marriage did not survive that. What have you seen in terms of
2: husbands and wives working together, the pros and cons? Listen, it's a very sensitive subject that is very diverse in terms of what we see. If I remember a a few years ago, we had um, uh, Chris Humphrey and Natalie, his wife, who own Easy Truck. And you know, at the end of the show, obviously we were talking about more or less the same topic. And at the end of the show, we asked Chris and Natalie, we asked him, would you do it again? And Chris said, Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't. Natalie said, absolutely not. Just <laughs> to tell you, you know, the difference of opinions, uh, working with, working with your romantic partner, working with friends, always difficult, depends how you manage it. Look at, at Virtue Zone, Neil, Jeff and I are, are very close friends and, and, and we work together every day. Um, People warned us against it, but it's going—it's going very well. Of course, there are there are—it's—it's it's it's sometimes difficult to manage between friendship and business and so on. Uh, but it's manageable. Uh, It's—I think it's a question of—it's a question of of who you are and if you. I don't think it's for everyone. That's for sure. And I think that some people are very close and. Um, have no problem spending 24-7 with each other. Other people need their space. I think it depends on your character. It depends a lot on on your way of life and what you prefer. I don't, definitely don't think it's for everyone. I think it's doable. I think for some people, some couples I know that love to spend all the time in the world with each other, I think that can work. As long as you can you know, build a brick wall, if you want, between business and, 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 and pleasure or business and life, I don't see a problem to it. But it's not for everyone, that I can guarantee you. I know my wife and I own a business together,
1: a design business, but she runs it. It's effectively her business, and we spend yeah maybe ten hours a
2: week working on it together. But that's very different from being in the office twenty four seven. No, being being an investor is absolutely different than, or, or I mean, let's let's call it an investor. But if you're working twenty, if that's your main business and you're working twenty four seven, I, for example, uh, although I think my wife could bring a lot to the table, and she's a very creative person and very very well business minded. Actually, she has a great career. I don't know if I would want to spend all day, all day with my wife in the office, and then all night in, in, in at home. Uh, I think couples need to breathe. I think that they need to have their their space where they're they're thriving on, on on their own, in in order to more appreciate the time that they spend together.
1: Well, if you're listening, Mrs. Her ping us a message for (laughs) 001 or use the ARM Player app, indeed. Mrs. Dean, feel free to as well. But our next guest is Julie Shields. She's launched, as I mentioned, two companies with her partner. Here's our producer, Catherine Cunningham, with the details.
3: Julie Shields met husband Michael while working together in hospitality. In 2010, they decided to launch their own hotel management company called Fasil. Five years later, with the company well established, they turned their attention to creating a fashion brand. Fasil Blanco
0: is a a very unique all-white, only linen, resort-style clothing fashion for ladies and men. We operate Uh, an online boutique that sells around the world to to over 200 countries. And we opened our first retail boutique in Burj Al Arab Hotel during uh, 2020. Proving popular, the brand is set to be expanded
3: to more locations, with the couple also having other joint business ventures on the horizon. Well,
1: the founder of that company, Fasil Blanco, Julie Seals, joins us now live on the line and also via Microsoft Teams. Julie, good morning. Good to have you with us.
0: Good morning, a pleasure to be here.
1: So why did you decide to go into business together? I know you had the romantic side of the relationship. What made mm-hmm. you think, yeah, let's start a company?
0: Well, uh, good question. Uh, we just sort of, we we have very similar aspirations on how we like to work. We loved working together. Uh, we did work together for about five years within the Jamera hotel group before we decided to launch our own company so it was really just a natural progression we thought well why not do it for ourselves and i was listening to george speaking just before this and he mentioned you know a lot of couples can't work together um, we've had our challenges no doubt in the world but it's been a blast it's been we have a lot of fun we work 24 7 7 days a week and i wouldn't have it any other way we're both pretty much workaholics and um, yeah really aspire to the same sort of level of lifestyle so it works for us
2: yeah Julian that's that's what I was saying I mean some people can do it and some people can't it's not for everybody yeah but but uh, I'm you know absolutely great for you guys if you were able if you were able to work it out yeah. I think there's there's, no, there's yeah. no better there's no better trust than than between a couple right to, to run a business and run it, trusting your partner is definitely something that's that's a plus for the business
0: uh, it's been a really really interesting uh, and then we've had about 13 years now between our first company, our hospitality company, and then our fashion company. Um, and I think one of the the key thoughts that I would put out to people who do venture into this is that you do need that separation of duties and that doesn't sort of just come naturally. It sort of takes time. It doesn't, overnight, you don't say, well, you do this and you do that. And uh, We had to really sort of define our spaces and that made it then easier for the colleagues that we were working with, you know, and the partners that we're working with. Sometimes a designer would say to us, well, Julie, is is this the sort of buttons that we want to use? And Michael would say, No, that's not the buttons we want to use. So it's really important just to, to define the boundaries on how you work together. Yeah, especially and, uh, when
2: especially when there's style involved, Julie. I mean, how how do you guys agree? Do you guys have the same tastes? Do you guys have I mean, yeah. it must be it yeah. must be very difficult to be able to agree on the same styles mm-hmm. and agree on the designs and agree on what to buy, what not to buy, what to design, what not to design, unless you guys oh. are pretty much aligned in taste.
0: Uh, I could go on forever on this subject because we started out thinking um, we wanted, we both agreed all white, which is crazy in itself. It's so niche, but lucky we crossed that one. We both ticked that box. But I wanted to do uh, like organic linen, um, not organic linen, organic cotton as well as linen. Then we went down the line, did some research on both different types of products. And Michael was passionate about linen and now i'm passionate crazy about linen and we only use linen and we only do white but it took us some time of well we researched what we wanted to do so we don't agree on everything um at all but we also after a few years of of sort of working our way around things we now can say okay well this is michael's strengths are slightly different to my strengths and 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 I let him get on and do. Um, he he does a lot more of the technical and the financial side of things. I do things like this. I like to talk to people. I like to build relationships. So, when it comes to the you know working with the designers, working with our partners, the if it, we're doing a fashion shoot or something like this. So we 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 found our way, but we definitely had differences of opinion. And but we're both pretty steadfast about trying to get the right product out at the end um we did have different styles um um, um that's probably natural isn't it you know you've got a male and a female so we did have different different ways that we could see the products looking we when we rolled out our first collection you know we had had the bottles come in and they put all the clothes on it we sampled all the clothes and our designer would be with us and we'd We'd sit in a room, a meeting room, and we'd, we'd look at all the different pieces to say, okay, well do, do we like that embroidery or do we not like the embroidery? I didn't like the embroidery. Michael really liked the embroidery. But we came to a happy medium, okay? We had to refine it a little bit. So,
1: yeah. A couple of final questions on, on this yes. issue, then I'm going to ask you about your business more broadly. In terms of taking yes. time off. How do you manage that? Clearly, you want to go on holidays together, but you're both the the key people of the business. Typically, in a business like that with, you know, HR team at Jumeirah, they'd say, well, actually, Julie, you can't have time off the same as Michael because, you know, you're both key people. We need one of you here. And yet you want to go off to Switzerland together or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, We have a really, really great team behind us. So one of the the big things you know 20 years 25 years working in hotels you learn how to develop a nice team that takes time so we have um, a lot of communication with the team the wonderful thing is you've got these sorts of devices teams you've got WhatsApp. you've got everything we have online technology that goes wherever we go so um okay that's you we're not on the spot with the team if we do want to go away um, and we do travel a lot we do love to travel a lot so uh, we just have checks and balances in place. For example, in our boutique, um, we're all online. So every time there's um, a sale made or an inquiry, I, I'm I'm always curious about our customers, always curious about where they come from, what hotels they're staying in, what nationalities, what they like, what they don't like. And we have all of this communication ongoing, whether we're standing right beside the teams or not. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question, but we... we we managed to get away, uh, we put trust in the people that we're working with, and that's not cliche, that's fact, and and it works.
2: Julie, I'm going to ask you a bit of a sensitive question, but I want to ask it sure. because I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are thinking of starting a business with their with their soulmate or with their partner would, would think about it. In terms of finances, so mm. do you guys pay yourself salaries? Do you segregate the finances between your and your husband's finances, or is it just one account that you pour the money into and it's the couple's account. How do you guys manage that side of things? Because if it was in normal times or if it was a, a, mm. you know, a, a regular thing, you would have your job, he would have his job, you would have his, your company, he would have his company and you, you would be able to segregate both finances. How, how, how do you do in this case and what is, what is the method that you guys resorted to?
0: Well, that's the most interesting thing. I think because the finances are always the really tricky part for everybody I had 25 years opening hotels all around the world. I was extremely independent with my finances um, and and We <laughs> went into the business together. We we had no external support both companies are 100% ours so we we actually combined all resources To be really honest, we didn't really know if that was right or if that was wrong. That's just what we felt. Our gut feel was that this is the way we have to do this. So um, now we have uh, individual bank account and all of the company resources we keep together, we manage it. And the word that springs to mind for me is trust. I just trust that, that that Michael takes care of that side of the business. We keep each other afloat of where our finances are up to with both companies. Um, 2020 was the biggest test for that, of course, goes without saying, because it was so, so tough for everybody. But we came out of it just with an even greater um, level of trust. So we combine, for us, that's how it works, and then we have a separate Bank account that's more for personal use, but when it comes to really everything that we do when we're developing a new collection for Facil Blanco, Julie, we're out
1: of time, we're gonna to have to leave it there. Fascinating conversation! Thank you so much for joining us. That's the founder of Facil Blanco, Julie Shields.
0: More to come on Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone on
1: Dubai I 103.8. Welcome back to Starting Up with Virtue Zone, Richard Dean, with you in for Tom Urquhart. Just for this week, this is my third and final week. Mr. Urquhart is back in the country, I'm delighted to say, and we'll be back on your radio and indeed your television next week. In the meantime, I'm joined by George Hajaji, the George Hagegi, the CEO of Virtue Zone. George, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Where our talking point is starting a business with your husband or your wife. Is it a good idea? If so, how do you make it work? There are, of course, many high-profile couples who form companies together. Celebrities like Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson with their production company to the now- divorced Bill and Melinda Gates with their nonprofit foundation. But how does it work for a small startup? Well, Joe Bruce is a business psychologist. He is the founder of the coaching company based here in Dubai, PathBoss. And he is also going into business with his fiance, joining us now live on Microsoft Teams. Morning, Joe.
3: Good morning, Richard and George. Thank you so much for having me here.
1: So what do you think about going into business with a, with a husband or wife? Are you four or a it?
3: I'm definitely for it. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of perks that come with going into a relationship with your partner. Um, but, you know, to begin with, if you're having a stressful day, you can always get a, a head rub or something. So um, <laughs> yes, that's interesting. That, that's a that's a good start. You know, but on a on a on a serious note, there's there's so many benefits that come with it from being able to be creative at you know random times of the day when we're most relaxed. You know, they say that have you have your best ideas when you're in the shower. Um, You know, when you're lying on the beach or out for a romantic dinner, even you can be enthusiastically talking about business opportunities and ideas. So that's definitely... Definitely one one perk that comes with it. Yeah, I'm definitely for it. But least, Joe, that
2: yeah. that's exactly that's exactly what what you consider to be an advantage can exactly be what is considered disadvantage, couldn't it? I mean, when you're out on the beach and having a romantic dinner, that's what you want to have, right? You don't want to be having for some people. I'm saying you don't want to be having a romantic discussion. Uh, sorry, a uh, business discussion. <laughs> and when you're and when you're at home having a shower, you really want to be disconnecting rather than thinking about business. Just getting out of the shower and talking about business. So there is kind of a a flip to the metal if you want. Where That's what I was saying, that it's not for everybody. is people like you who perceive it as being somewhat of an advantage to, to, to being able to talk business at any time. And other people will see it as an absolute disadvantage to be able to talk business 24-7. What do you think of that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I hear what you're saying. I mm-hmm. think like, having boundaries that work for you is really important. One of the things that I work through with my clients is, you know, getting clear communication so you can be clear as to, okay, so tonight I don't want to talk about business. And the other thing that's really important there is we don't have those more difficult conversations when we're on the beach or relaxing over dinner. We typically just have those engaging conversations because we're both so passionate about the business that we're starting. That's what we want to be talking about, which is a good place to be if you're going into any kind of business with any kind of partner. So I think, yeah, there's there's definitely boundaries that need to be set and we tend to have those more challenging problem solving conversations during the day when we're when we can be more focused and be more critical in our in our thoughts.
1: What happens if the couple splits up but the business carries on? We mentioned Bill and Melinda Gates earlier. I mean some yeah. of the world's richest people, perhaps a spurious example, but nevertheless. We I think most of us read the letter that they put out when they split up saying, Bill and Melinda as husband and wife, we've reached the end of the road, we're splitting up, but we're going to remain as the people who run the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is that viable is it possible um I don't know I'm thinking well, uh, I mean maybe you remember that should I mention this I probably shouldn't mention it. I'm going to do it anyway I remember <laughs> um a few years ago working here and my my colleague uh, Catboy under by 92 and his wife Geordie Bird presented the the breakfast show together now they split up uh, but they carried on presenting the show for, for several years together because that was their business, that was their work, and, and they made it work, so it, it can work. But what do you make of that, Joe?
3: Yeah, I love that show, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely can work. It depends on the, it depends on the couple, so, and it depends on the breakup as well, obviously. One of the most important things that I make sure that when I'm working with a, a client who, who, who is in a partnership with, with a lover or husband or wife one of the things I make sure they do is get the contracting right from the beginning. You know, if you're setting up a company through someone like VirtueZone, you're going to be prompted to allocate shareholdership and there's going to be some formal documentation. And it's, it's really important that you get that legal contracting done early on so that you don't have to untangle anything that's unwritten later on. Um, these kind of informal agreements, we've seen it recently with, you know, even if it's not like a partnership, but think about Harry Kane leaving, wanting to leave Tottenham, but he's saying he had a had a gentleman's agreement with the, you know, the the owner. That that's just not how business works, and I always encourage partners to get those that contracting, that legal contracting done up front in a in a fair and transparent way, and so- then, yeah, go on.
1: Now, I was going to ask you to, about your personal experience because you are setting up in business with your fiance at the moment. Talk to me about yeah. that business. What what can you tell us? Why you've made that decision? Why you think that you're you're not just life partners, but you're your business partners?
3: Yeah, so it's something that we're both passionate about. The, the business is called Learn and Play Right Brain Education, and it's it's essentially a business that's going to be supporting parents to educate their children at home. Using this right brain education um, formula, and so my partner is the technical expert in the business. So I'm more behind the scenes, doing some of the tech side and the business side, and so we complement each other really well. We're both really passionate about the you know the the, the goals of the business, which is really important to be aligned uh, on the on the vision of the business. So we're both really passionate about it, and we both think it has a really good opportunity as a as a business as well. Um, we, we see ourselves being together for life. And so we're, we're, we're committing to
1: it. Yeah. Wish you the best of luck with that, Joe. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Joe Bruce, business psychologist. He is the founder of the coaching company here in Dubai, Path Boss. Appreciate his time this morning.
2: Richard, you haven't told us about your experience. So you, you just mentioned that you would spend about 10 hours a week working with your with your wife. How is that going? And what, what is... What do you find most difficult and what do you find most advantages in, in working with your partner?
1: Well, I think the advantages, and you mentioned this, is that we have that distance because I've got a day job. Mm. So my head is elsewhere. A lot of the time I get up early, I do this, and I don't go to the office and work with her on a day-to-day basis. She's got a team of 20 designers working there. So that, that business has grown. We do, so we, we do two things. First of all, I'm a sounding board. She'll come home at the end of the day. And either it will be something's happened and it's just reacting to that. Someone's resigned or they've won a new project and how are we going to resource this? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk that through. Um, and that's fine. Sometimes it's more long-term strategy. Okay, where are we going to take this business in five years? Now she's thinking of doing an MBA at the moment. You know, that's, quite a, that's, that's a business decision and a family decision. So we, you know, we, we strategize where do we want to go take this business in three or four years' time and how is this going to help us get there? But then we do work on projects together. So we do actually work on specific things. The, the thing I do within an interior design architecture business is the research projects. Either we'll be doing a white paper on the future of office design or the future of education design. I'm a journalist and a writer, a yep. social scientist, and I do that. Or we just last week for a media company, we're designing their office in Media City. You do focus groups and research before a design project to figure out what are the needs and wants, so I'll do that kind of stuff. So we work side by side then, and, and that could be when the friction comes in because... You know, what if, for example, um, I'm a bit late with the project, I'll do this, to, you know, let's take a research project, uh, focus groups for, a, um, for a, a design project, and I will, I'll, I'll run that, and it's my job to write the report, and what if I'm late with a deadline? Yeah. I,
2: but you do look, have that another cr- job.
1: Right. I do have another job, yeah, yeah, but that, but that doesn't matter because she's got a deadline with her clients. Well, which
2: brings me to, if yeah. you're working all day, let's say you're working yeah. all day, and granted, you don't have a traditional job, yeah. so you might be working, and I'm not even sure yeah. that some days you work a few hours rather than a full, 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 full day. But when you come home, do you really want to start another work day <laughs> and talk about everything that happened in the other office and there is, like you said, the resignations and the challenges and all that? Isn't that difficult
1: on you? It can be a little bit, yeah, particularly as I get up 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and if I've had a full day. You're, you're, you're shattered by the end of the day. And so you haven't got maybe the, the energy or the, the, that your partner would want when they come to you with these issues and challenges. Oh, this happened today. What do you think? And you're just... Oh, I just does it want ever to happen that football. you say...
2: Richard, does it ever happen that you say, listen, I just don't want to talk about work now or not?
1: Yes. And yeah. how does
2: she take it? It does. N-
1: not particularly well, yeah. no. typically. Because, you know, because t- it would be, well, this is a problem now and I need to solve it now. What do you think I should do? Um... And just oh, Man United's on. Leave it. It does not go down too well.
2: But that's a challenge you've taken on, hasn't it? Because you, isn't it? Because you, you've you've taken on uh, you know to be a partner in a company and to have a full time job. So you you have it's it's on you. I think that to 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 be able to perform with that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm invested in the company. So typically,
1: normally, you and I'm sure you have it as well, you're, you're tired, but when something happens, a real issue happens, and you've got to switch on. Oh, then, then the you, adrenaline you, kicks in. You yeah, get absolutely. the adrenaline rush, yeah, and it's absolutely. like, okay, I can do it. So it's rare that you can't. You can't yeah. do it all the time. Like you said, you know, you were, um, this is my phrase, not your phrase, but a little bit of burnout, you know, May, June this year after 18 months of COVID and no break. So you took the the decision, and it was a CTO's decision, if people were listening earlier, to take yourself out of the office yeah. for for the best part of four or five weeks and and not to work from home and and not to be on your
2: laptop or your phone all the time but that's not easy is it it's it's almost impossible for me to be honest what helped me in canada was the time difference right so i would wake up let's say at nine or ten in the morning i was on holiday let's not forget Mm. and it would be five or six p.m here so most of the day would have passed here i guarantee you if i was in the team in the same in the same time zone it would be very difficult not to look both i mean both Neil, uh, Jeff. I mean, all three of us. Neil, Jeff, and I are, are very. We, we're not very good at, at keeping away from phones or emails. We just, you know, we, we have to be connected with the business all the time. The time difference did help me, but um, yeah, I can't. I can't completely disconnect. It's just not possible in today's day and age, if you ask me.
1: But and Elon Musk will not be disconnecting. Never when he's on holiday, and he's Never. made this point several times, isn't yep. it? You know, you should be working
2: hundred hours a week if you're building a business. I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know. What I've discovered in Canada, there's a, there's a big topic right now and I'll make it quick because I know we're running out of time. There's a big topic about uh, quality of life, right? So people are sacrificing big jobs, they're sacrificing big salaries, they're sacrificing big businesses for quality of life. So as long as I have enough money to have a great quality of life, then I'll go for that rather than than this. I think it's a fine balance. I think for somebody who's ambitious, who's motivated and a lot of them here here in the UAE, most of us are here because, uh, because, because we're, we're entrepreneurial, um, it's a very fine line between giving the most time possible to your business and having a quality of life, and that's what's the most important. You've got to know when to disconnect and when to connect, but you can't disconnect completely. I don't believe that.
1: Join the conversation. This is starting up with Zone. Pick us a message, 4001, on the old-fashioned text message, or you can download the ARM Play app and message us for free. You're back with starting up with Tom Urquhart and Zone.
3: Only
0: on Dubai i 103.8.
1: This is Starting Up with Virtue Zone with George Hajage, who's the CEO at Virtue Zone. I'm Richard Dean for Tom Urquhart this week. He is back next week. Now it is time to answer some of your questions. Company Clinic. So, George, a number of questions have come in for you today about starting up a business. Can I throw these at you? Go for it. Nori is the first one up today. I have started making jewellery from home and want to turn it into a business. What sort of paperwork or license do I need to run this business from my home in Dubai?
2: Okay, interesting. So, um, if you're making jewelry, it all depends on if it's precious metals or not. If it's precious metals, there's a set of regulations. If it's not precious metals, then it's much easier. If it's precious metals, you need to get approval from certain authority because uh, uh, there's certain security measures that need to be taken. You cannot work from home. You'll need to get an office with certain cameras installed and so on and so forth for uh, possible thefts um, and, and th- things as such. If it's non-precious metals, then you can get a regular, E- e- e-commerce license and trade uh, online. So this kind of cottage industry, making things at home and selling them. Huge now, huge. And, and, and
1: it, it's great, but in terms of licensing and, and, and manufacturing, I mean, I remember 10 years ago, I had friends here who were making, and it was jewelry. And it was jewelry with the imprint of like your kids or your dog's paw or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, and they would make a pair of cufflinks mm-hmm. or a brooch, or whatever it may be. And it literally was at home, but they did have kit. You know, because you were making out of steel or aluminium or whatever it was. So it wasn't a precious metal, but you still need to melt the stuff. So you've got... It's it's dangerous. Basically an oven and a furnace, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, I mean, I don't think it was completely legal, if I'm perfectly honest. Well, I can bet you these people... Did
2: they have a trade license? They had a trade license, but I'm not sure what it was. Listen, technically... So far in Dubai, you cannot work from home or own a business from home. What we have is a lot of the free zones will have a flexi desk, what's called a flexi desk, or if you want a shared space, shared office space, where you technically do have an office or a desk that you're supposed to work from. That's what people who are working from home use for their license. And I've done that before, but I've been
1: providing services. And indeed, our, our yeah. design business when mm-hmm. started off was that. It, yeah, we had a license. We had a desk somewhere sure. yeah. in some northern emirate. Uh, and then it, it grew, and that's fine. But making
2: stuff is different, isn't it? If it's physical stuff. It it's different. Listen, everything, I mean, everything is, is, is quite regulated here. We're lucky. I mean, it's quite advanced in terms of regulation. So obviously, if you're doing, for example, cosmetics, or if you're doing anything that goes on your skin or anything that's ingested, that will be... Uh, that will be overseen by the Department of Health who will, who will need to give you, to give you uh, the DHA will need to give you some approvals. If you're making food, then you will have to get certain approvals from Dubai Municipality. If you're doing something that is uh, dangerous, for example, you'll need to get, you know, from civil defense, you'll need to get a certain, a certain approval. Skydiving coach or something like that. Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I mean, you, you'll, need, you'll need the proper licenses and and, and, and permits for that. But, but in general, anything that is dangerous will be a regulated activity uh, you know making uh, making jewelry is not a dangerous activity on, on, or, or it's not there's no danger to the public if you want because we want to encourage
1: these businesses don't we Absolutely. That, that are down at right market and places like that over weekend because they' well, you want to encourage all businesses but they do add to the to the rich fabric of life there in, ju- in
2: any city and uh, Richard due, due to the crisis a lot of people have seen their revenue decrease a bit uh, in, ter- you know, uh, in parts because of people had lost their jobs, others had reduced salaries and so on. And this was just, you know, these side gigs all of a sudden sprung up in, in, in order to, to, to facilitate more revenue and, and, and things like that. And that's a good thing. Nick
1: has written in, he's hiring. Good stuff, Nick, glad to hear it. I want to hire an employee to manage operations. I've got someone in mind, but they're in a different country. This person happens to be in the UK. How much should I budget for his visa? That's one question. I'm going to broaden that, answer that question if you would, George, but I'm going to broaden that and say, what are the pros and cons of hiring from overseas rather than local hire?
2: Okay, well, first of all, in terms of what he should budget for the visa, uh, rule of thumb, it's depending on the jurisdiction between six and 9,000 dirhams for, again, depending on the jurisdiction, a two-year to three-year visa. That's to answer Nick's question. To answer your question, what are the pros and cons to hire somebody overseas? Um... I'll be very honest with you, the pros of hiring somebody overseas, is you can get them much cheaper than if you hired him here uh, because people do not realize the cost of, 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 of life here in Dubai. So what we've noticed is, for example, we've seen a lot of people coming from the UK, managers from the UK or directors that are applying from the UK that are willing to work at a much lower salary than the directors that are that are available here. That's how I'm talking about a management level. Um, <clears throat> so that's one of the pros. Uh, the the person will be very excited to move to dubai they'll be very motivated with this new job and so on and so forth the cons are um doesn't know the market obviously so it's a completely different market here from the uk and the second thing is most people that are moving from abroad will use their first job as a springboard or as a as a foot in the door if you want into the uae and then within a short period of time we'll start looking for a more convenient job for them if you want so that's one of the cons that we've seen with 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 people coming in from abroad
1: can you claw back some of those 6 to 9000 dirham costs that you've paid and maybe check in a, a flight in there as well maybe a service department for a month when they settle in it, can you put those clauses in contracts or are they not allowed
2: you know it's 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 a, it's a very grey grey area a lot of people do put them in contracts but technically you're not i mean you're not allowed to to charge somebody for their own visa fine so you've just got to stomach that one yeah exactly but but a lot of people put it into contracts and do apply a clawback
1: Emma's written in. Emma's in a hurry. George, how quickly can I get a company set up? Is it possible within a week? I am looking to set up my own accounting and finance consultancy.
2: Emma, I'm glad to say that at VirtuZone, we can get you a license within 24 hours from some of the jurisdictions. So yes, much less than a week. Uh, Call us today and uh, we can get you, you know, if we get your paperwork uh, today. Well, I mean basically all we need is your your passport copy we can get your business set up by tomorrow end of business and that would be a a
1: consultancy or professional
2: services it will be a consultancy free zone uh, license because and
1: we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago because abu dhabi had issued this list of i think 604 professional services or services type companies that you could now own 100 percent as a foreigner but the, the if you take, for example, legal services, most expatriate lawyers, they're not really lawyers, they're just legal consultants here because being a lawyer is a, there are certain, it's quite, quite involved to be a lawyer or set up a law firm here. So you set up a consultancy offering legal services. And there's something not dissimilar with accounting as well, isn't it? Because if you're auditing firms, there's a, there's a level of financial regulation there
2: yeah uh, when it comes to financial when it comes to financial firms whether it's investment firms, investment advice, banking uh, placements, uh, investments all that it is uh, it is uh, it requires the FSA approval which is which is basically um, uh, which is basically uh, if you want the regulatory authority in terms of uh, financial services. It's a big it's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's a more complicated setup. It's not something that you can do in 24 hours, definitely. <laughs> it requires a lot of due diligence. It requires a lot of compliance. It requires a lot of uh, checks and balances before you get that license given to you. Um, and uh, just like everywhere else in the world, the reason for that is that uh, you shouldn't be allowed to take anybody's money if you're not qualified to do so. And there's a risk that you would lose that money and people need to be uh, protected against that. George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Richard, it was, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you. It was a great show and uh, hope to see you soon. George Rajage
1: is the CEO of VirtuZone. Next week, I hand the reins back to Mr. Erker. Thanks for listening.